Morning, 1030. How's everybody doing? Good. You all right? You all right? We turned the, we turned the temperature down for you. I don't know why. It's freezing here. So um, hadn't, hadn't planned on that. It's to keep small children awake, I guess. Um, congratulations, Larson. So glad to have you all here with us today. You brought a whole army of people. So lots of, lots of people love you or don't trust you with those babies yet. Um, that might be the No, of course not. Of course. Wonderful parents. Thank you guys for being here. Um, so yeah, lots going on. We're a couple weeks before the end of the year. And um, we're just grateful for the way that you commit to this church and the way that you come through a time off. And hopefully you've got family members that are coming back in town. Uh, my son is back from Walla Walla, really excited. My future son-in-law is here. Wow. Yeah, that's the first time I said that out loud. Um, so I'm getting used to that, but we're really excited that, um, that he's here and we're excited for, for this season because it's a pretty amazing season. But um, yeah, so... So we're in this series called Adventure, and we've talked about risk in the midst of it. And today I'm not going to talk about risk so much, but I'm going to talk about the angel adventure. The first week we talked about the risk of Bethlehem and what that was for the first family. And then the second week we talked about the risk of Rome and how we incarnate um, who Jesus is into Rome. And now we're going to talk a little bit about angels because they show up in this narrative pretty profoundly. And um, while the narrative really hinges on this one thing, on Mary, this is where we first see one of the angels show up. I love what C.S. Lewis said. He said, the whole thing narrows and narrows until at last it comes down to a little point, as small as the point of a spear, a Jewish girl at her prayers. And we know that when the angel shows up to Mary, this, the whole story kind of hinges on this interaction. So I'll be reading from Luke today as we study some of this interaction, and then we'll move on to another part of the story. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee. So it begins with messengers. Now, the Greek word for angels is, it literally means messenger. So this is their job. They're to come and they're to give the word of God. They're to give explanation at times. They're to give, um, they're to, you know, ask questions even of people. And so that's who we're dealing with. To a virgin named Mary, this is who he came to, of course. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. This is the context, and these we all know. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Now, not a bad way to start, right? You're favored. God likes you. God loves you. You are in God's favor. This is really great, but sometimes being favored isn't all it's cracked up to be. When I was in sixth grade, they decided, and by they, I mean our teacher decided that we needed to have a class president. And so we held elections in sixth grade with like 23 kids, right? So that's going to be essentially a popularity contest. And I fancied myself relatively popular. And so I put my name in. There was like two or three other people. I don't remember. And it was a secret ballot. We didn't know. I think that was secret because I think that um, no one trusted the electors. And, and our teacher wanted to manage the whole thing. So I became president, which I was very excited about, for about 20 minutes. And then he said, listen, this is the job of the president. Um, when I leave the classroom, your job is to write the names of all the people who are misbehaving. And that was the whole job of the president. It was horrible. 
right? And I tried to do, I wanted to do a good job. So the first time he leaves, I start writing names down. And then uh, I was a small kid when I was in sixth grade. I grew like six inches between my sixth and seventh grade year. So had this happened a little later, things would have been okay. But the bigger guys came to me and said, are you writing our names down? And I'm like, no, I mean, not anymore. And so I quickly lost the paper. The, the teacher came back and he said, who is misbehaving? I was like, oh, no one. We were all little angels, um, but not in the biblical sense because we weren't really messaging anything. So um, anyway, it's not always great to be favored because sometimes being favored is more about responsibility than reward, right? It would be great if it was only about the reward. You're favored, here's some great things. But when God shows up and says, you're favored, he's usually like, hey, you're favored. I got some stuff to do, and I'd like to do it with you, right? These were frightening words of responsibility that were given to Mary right from the beginning. And I love the way the biblical account in Luke tells us this because it doesn't have the next phrase being, and Mary was super excited about being favored, and she was so blessed to be favored. It said, no, confused and disturbed... Mary tried to think of what the angel could mean. What in the world do you mean I'm favored? What is it that God's going to want me to do? How am I supposed to do it? I'm just a girl waiting to be married. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her. For you found favor with God, re-emphasizing the favor. But I wonder why angels always say, don't be afraid. Now, for some of us, we may have gone up and looked at like biblical pictures of angels and said, well, they were afraid because angels are weird looking as we find them in Revelation for sure. However, I don't think that's the reason. You know, the first time that fear shows up in scripture is after the first sin. If you know the story, Genesis 3, Adam and Eve eat of the apple. In the cool of the evening, God is coming down to speak with them. They're hiding, playing the first game of hide and seek. Um, probably not too good at it. Jesus, God, Jesus, God, sorry, using those interchangeably. Um, the biblical account tells us that God shows up and says, Adam and Eve, where are you? Now we understand that this is the first, the first, um, the first giving of grace for a couple of reasons. Number one, God, of course, knew where they were. So him saying, hey, Adam and Eve, where are you? Was an opportunity for them to come to him and come clean. The second reason being they wouldn't have been very good at hide and seek at this point because they never played it before. All right. So God would have been like, you're behind the tree. I, can, I know where you are. But he didn't say that. He's like, hey, where are you going? And then they come out and they say, hey, we were afraid because we were naked. And it's the first time we see fear in Scripture. Fear is one of the first consequences of sin. All right. We fear, we sin, we fear, and then we specifically fear that God is not going to like us anymore. When sin encounters the divine it is afraid of the consequences. And when sin encounters the divine-ish with the angels, we can say, fear is the consequence. Because sin uses fear as a weapon against us. Sin causes separation from God. And that separation leads to certain assumptions that we have about God. Not that God has or that God is, but assumptions that we have about God. God doesn't love us because we've sinned. God isn't for us because we've sinned. God wants to punish us and keep us from heaven. These are the assumptions that we make of God because we've been separated from God and we've forgotten what it's like to be with God, to be, you know, Emmanuel. God is with us. 
So fear is the tool sin uses to keep us from even seeking God. We don't want to go look for God anymore because we're afraid that if we find God, he'll also find us and we won't be favored. We always think with God, less information about us is more when we're involved in sin. So the problem is when a messenger shows up and says, fear not, it means that God is closing the gap between us. It means that God is coming towards us. It means that God is moving towards us and there is something that God would like to partner with us on. For Mary, it was the birth of God's son. What is it for you, I wonder? If the messenger showed up for you, why would the messenger tell you to fear not? What is it that God has for you to do? What responsibility does God have for you that only you can accomplish with God when you have no fear? And when you partner with God, when you trust God, and when you allow God to trust you and be worthy of that trust. Because when the angel comes, it means God is about to put his trust in you. And this should be noticed. When you have an encounter with God, it is because God has a task, a service, a purpose, or a partnership that only you can accomplish in this world. And we know what it was for Mary. The angel speaking in Luke 1.31, you will conceive and give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus. Now, have you ever gotten a responsibility that someone puts on you and it feels more like a burden? You're like, oh, I'm in charge of that. Great. I have to write down the names of everyone while you're gone. Great. That's not so much a responsibility as it is a burden. And this call, that the, this message that the messenger had given to Mary must have felt like a burden. And a burden is something that's put on you, right? A burden is something that you have to carry. But burdens, thankfully, can become responsibilities because a responsibility is something that we then choose to carry and take ownership of, something that we agree to cover, to hold, and to protect. And hopefully... A burden moves from a burden to a responsibility and then ultimately moves to the idea of it being a joy. This is the burden and responsibility. This is when burden and responsibility are turned into joy when it's something that God asks us to carry. Whether it's a congregation, whether it's a family, whether it's a new child, a ministry, a relationship, all of these things can be all three things, right? With a third, joy being the most overwhelming one. And so this is what the angel, the messenger, has asked and has told Mary she will do. And he says, listen, by the way, this child that you're going to carry, he'll be very great, and he'll be called Son of God, Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David. This is a pitch forward. Like, by the way, the reward for this, the return on this investment is really good. Right? It's, he's going to be king. And, his, you know, the, the Lord will give him the throne. So, like, this is great. This is the pitch forward. Making sure she understands the weight of the burden, the responsibility, and the ultimate joy. But there's some mystery involved in this, because how is all this going to work? He's not done with his explanation, though. He says, and, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. I don't even know if she could comprehend that or understand what that meant. This is said by the messenger with emphasis, though, because... You see, the messengers always know the other side that we don't. 
The messengers, as they come to give this message about what Mary's going to do, is saying, hey, you need to understand what a great thing this is because this God that you're about to experience, we live with him. We've experienced him forever and he's amazing. This is really good news. But Mary, being a human being, is like, oh, this is confusing. And she's like, how? I don't even understand how this can happen because I'm a virgin, which is a super reasonable question, right? This is the part of the story where we have to accept that there is wonder and awe that we may not understand. We have to accept that in this narrative, you're not going to get the biology of it. You're not going to get all that. What you're going to get is the idea that God loves you so much that he was willing to come to this earth, be born as a child, live this life, and save us from our sins. You're not going to get the how, the specifics, right? You're going to get awe and wonder about how any of this can happen. So my question to you is this today. What brings you awe and wonder in this season? How do you get there? Because this season has been compromised, right? To consumerism. We know that. And so the awe and wonder that we have in Christmas somehow goes away. You know, I don't know how you get back to that place of awe and wonder. Whether it's the reflection on the year and how good God has been to you. Whether it's reflecting on that Christmas story and reading it with your family. Whether it's going to see Christmas lights right, that are done really well. Not just the normal Christmas lights, like the good Christmas lights. You all know where they are, right? We all have different things that we need to get to that place. And the truth is we need a little more awe and wonder in our lives. And we need to go find it because we live in a world sometimes with so many explanations that we don't allow ourselves to wonder and awe and to not know how it all works. And we see wonder and awe in the story. And the angel replies in a way that's not all that specific. He basically says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby will be born. The baby to be born will be holy. And he will be called the Son of God. He's not answering all the questions. He's just saying, trust me. It's a process that's beyond your comprehension. And he says, but listen, there's a lot that's beyond your comprehension here. What's more, Elizabeth, you know, your cousin, has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say that she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. Mary, you don't have to do this alone. You'll have help. You'll have someone to go through this at the same time to prepare you. Don't worry about this. I'm going to take control so that you have all the help you need. Beyond just fear of a 50% infant mortality rate that we've talked about before, there's just fear of going through that process. There's the social fear of the stigma that she was going to have to deal with. At this point, she still may have been very fearful that Joseph was going to leave her. And God says, listen, don't worry about this. Why? For the word of God will never fail. This is the promise of safety, of hope, of protection, and of God's responsibility to Mary. What he's saying to Mary is simply this. Anything is possible with God. So trust that. Trust those words. The word of God never fails. And Mary answers it in the same way, which is pretty fascinating. Mary responds, okay, I'm the Lord's servant. All right, well, that's her, that's her submission. I, I'll do what God wants me to do. May everything you have said about me come true, for the word of God never fails. May everything that you've said about me come true. 
I think Mary was struggling with, with, with the whole thing. And so rather than say, I believe it, it's going to happen, she said, okay, I'm going to need you to do some believing for me. May those words that you said, may the, you, you said that the word of God never fails, so I'm just going to lean on that. Because I don't know how this is going to work. I don't know how this is going to, I'm in awe and wonder of what is happening right now. Mary sort of allowed God's word to do the believing for her in this moment. And sometimes we have to do that. Sometimes when we don't feel great about ourselves or we don't know how something's going to work out or we're not sure how this all happens, we have to lean on the word of God where God says, I love you. I care for you. I'll provide for you. I'm going to make sure there's a place for you. I've got a purpose for you. Sometimes we have to lean on the words of God because the words of God never fail. And the words of God don't actually depend on your belief in them. But God likes it when you do trust him. So she submitted to what she was being told. And, and we're going to stop this, this part of the story right now because there's another point that I want to get to because the angels show up again later in the story and their attitude is fascinating to me. They're just really excited. We now go to the shepherds outside of Bethlehem. And you know this piece. We sing about this stuff all the time. But it says this, um, but the angel reassured them, right? It's talking now to the shepherds. Don't be afraid. Starts again. Don't be afraid. I'll bring you good news. I bring you good news. And that will bring great joy to all people. So our old friend, the messenger, shows back up. He's speaking to a group of very practical people. These shepherds, they work with their hands. They work with, with sheep, with livestock, right? They don't work in mystery all that often. Like sheep are not that hard to understand. So again, the first words are assurance for their safety. Because when... The sinful encounter the divine, there's fear involved. So the angel says, listen, don't be afraid. Because actually, this is really good news. This is really exciting. You're protected, right? And I've got something that I want you to do. See, the reason why the angels show up and they seem so excited is because the messengers were witness to God's love and care from forever. We forget this, right? God creates man. He breathes life into him. And the universes that he'd already created are looking at this and watching this happen. And they're just as excited, if not more excited. Have you ever been, have you ever been at the birth of someone and the extended family that's around? There's like an uncle that's a little maybe too excited about the fact that this child was just born. They're like running around giving everybody bubblegum cigars because they're so excited. Well, they didn't have to go through it, right? So they can be excited. The family's like, okay, okay, relax. And the uncle's like, can you believe it? They named, they gave, his second name is my name. Like this child is, this is, the angels were like that. They're just excited. And he's like, listen, the Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, as you get, like he's repeating himself. Do you get this? Who's here? Do you get who's come? Because this is the person that I get to be around all the time. This is the God that I understand in ways you can't even fathom at this point. This is such good news. In fact, I was there back in the day when, when you decided that you weren't going to follow him. And I've been through the love, the joy, the hope, the disappointment, the fascination, the, the sadness. And now we're here and all things are about to get fixed. If you've had a child, you know particularly in your first child, right? You don't have a kid and your life is one way. Then you have a child and it's never the same ever. And just, just that quick, like you don't even get to go to your car in the same way. You know, they're like, did you, did you buckle them in right? You're like, it's not that hard. And they're like, Meh. and I, inevitably you do it wrong at first, right? It, it's, 
everything's about to change. And the angel's trying to, re- to iterate this. He's trying to let the shepherds know, like, the Savior, the Messiah, the Lord, he's been born today in Bethlehem, in the city of David. This is the best news that could have ever been given. The angels understood the plan of salvation. They were witnesses to God's love. They were witnesses to God reaching down. They were witnesses to God coming through again and again and again. And so they knew that everything was about to change. And because it was about to change, everything was about to get better. And they wanted to emphasize this to the shepherds. And so they said, listen, you'll recognize him by by this sign. You'll find him wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. They didn't want anyone to miss it. They didn't want these shepherds to miss it. They gave specific instructions. They knew how important it was. And almost as if, as you read the story, almost as if you could not hold heaven back, suddenly that angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven praising God. Now, there's a particular word that's used. It's stratia. And what it means is the host of heavenly bodies. It's like the number of the stars in the sky. We go from one angel quiet to a brilliant sky filled with angels They lit up the sky like so many stars. And it's almost as if they couldn't wait to get there. Like they were just waiting for the angel to give instruction because that was their cue because they were going to explode onto the earth. Now listen, we're a pretty highly produced church. We like to have lights move and all that sort of thing. This is God's idea of a production. Right? And here's the thing. I think we learn, we learn because I think we're finite beings and, and you know, we learn about heaven when we're little and we learn like it's a long ways away. And I don't know if you remember this. I was reading our series guide, Pastor Patty wrote, and he mentioned something. I thought, oh yeah, I remember that. We learned, I don't know why, maybe this was like a 70s thing. We learned that in Orion's belt was the gate of heaven. I don't know why we learned that. I don't know where that comes from. Because that's, I don't know that that's true at all. Um, but that's what we learn. And so we have this idea that like heaven is light years, light years, light years away. But maybe we don't understand kind of interdimensional physics, right? All we know is this. The angels didn't take this long train. All we know is that this scripture says they exploded. Maybe they just came from wherever they were. Maybe heaven's not as far away as we think it is physically. Maybe there's a thinness. And that's why I love this time of the year. There's a thinness between heaven and earth. And Jesus is able to rip through that thinness. And the angels at this point explode in light, singing, because that's what you have to do when you encounter the divine. You have to find a way to honor God and words aren't enough, so you have to sing. Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. Now we have that translation that we usually sing being a little different. Peace on earth, goodwill towards men. The the NLT is a little bit more specific in that. But the volume must have been deafening. It must have been overwhelming because the angels were wanting to introduce God to the world. Is there somebody that you really like that you love to introduce to people that you can't wait to introduce to them? This is how the angels felt about God to the world. They wanted everyone to know that Jesus is coming. They wanted to sing songs that recognize his greatness and his goodness. At this point, they're not just messengers, but they're the broadcast system and they're the choir. And they're as excited 
as anyone could ever be about the birth of this child. Not just because there's another human being in the world, but because the one who can teach us how to be human is there. Because the God of all creation has decided to condescend and come down to earth. And so they sing songs with the greatest experiences they can think. Peace is coming to earth. Goodwill towards man. God is for you. This is the best it could be. Jesus, we love you. What will the songs that you sing this Christmas say about your love, excitement for Jesus? Joy, hope, peace, wonder, awe. Man, experience all these things this season. But more than that, maybe it's time for us to be the messenger too. Maybe it's time for us to be as excited as those angels were that God is now with us. See, the angels were saying, listen, we've experienced this forever. Now you get to experience what we get. You get a slice of heaven. You get to understand what it means to be with God. But when we tell others, we take the role that those angels had, messengers of the good news, but not just angels, evangelists. That's the word we use in the New Testament. Not just messengers, but messengers with the good news, messengers with the greatest news, the news that Christ is born, that Emmanuel, that God is with us, and through the Holy Spirit, God has maintained that presence in our lives, maintained that presence in the church, maintained that presence as we seek who God is. The good news is you don't have to walk up to someone and say, fear not. You just have to walk up to them and teach them what it means to be loved well because you've been loved so well. So this year, as you celebrate and as you ponder, as you find yourself in awe and wonder of what God has done, don't keep it to yourselves. Find the mountaintop, find the opportunity, find the conversation to tell someone, listen, you've got to know from now on, everything changes because Christ is here and he's not going away. So be the messenger as you think about what God has done for you today. Let's bow our heads. Lord of grace, just thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for coming through. Thank you for sending your angels on this adventure to tell people that you're coming. Lord, may we be half as excited, a quarter of as excited as they were that you've come into this earth. Lord, may you fill our lives with passion and wonder. And Lord, may we be the messenger today. In your name I pray, amen. Stand and worship with us one more time.